Welcome to the Contractor's Best Friend Podcast, sponsored by Caterpillar and 4constructionpros.com. I'm your host for the day, Brad Humphrey, and I'm joined in the studios by Jason Hurtis, Caterpillar's specialist on construction, maintenance, quarry, and aggregates, and Lonnie Fritz, our specialist from heavy construction and road building. Guys, it's so good to be with you again. Hey, I don't know of another topic that I get asked questions right up in my face many times by contractors. And so today's theme is when might it be smart to buy up a step? Now, what I have found, guys, is a lot of contractors, if they got a little bit of ego, they always want to buy the extra stuff. But let's just talk about, let's start off, Lonnie, if you can, what might a contractor really begin to think about when they're looking at purchasing or leasing equipment? And where does it come to play when it might be smart to maybe they're cheating themselves by not buying enough on a piece of equipment? <laughs> I get a chuckle out of this, Brad, because uh, this is what I usually do when I spec out my vehicles. I, I'm always trying to buy up a step. <laughs> so so I, I think it's human nature. It just, it's just inherent, right? But uh, okay. let, let's go back to yellow iron and, and where our passion really lies. And, and I, I think it, it's kind of multifaceted as, you know, we bring a lot to the market. So if we look at the machine itself and we're looking at buying up a step, I go right to size, right? And it is what size of machine do I need? Let's look at an excavator. It's breakout force. It's production. It's lift capacity. You know, I'm over on the uh, dozer side of things. What do I need to actually push that material to hit those productivity targets? How big of a machine do I need? How big of a dozer do I need? Do I need to upsize if I'm trying to push scrapers through the cut right. or even if I'm ripping, right, to get the right penetration, depending on the fissures and the geology of what I'm trying to rip, do I need to go from a D9 to a D10 to really be able to pin that ripper and get that production? Mm. That's on the machine side, the fun side, and it even gets more exciting uh, when we look at the technology side. Mm. Do I need to buy up? Is a sonic sensor tracing a curb on the uh, from a motor grader, is that enough? Mm. Is that enough technology for the motor grader? Do I need to go on through to GNSS, Global Navigation Satellite System with 3D grade, or even all the way at the top being a universal total station? And then I totally shift the conversation over to Caterpillar Services. Yeah. Um, when we talk about Vision Link and telematics, there are different subscription levels. How rich of a data set do you need? How much do you, you know, what insights are you looking for? How much actionable data can you manage to improve your operations? So yeah. when I circle back to buying up a step, what is it you're in the market for? What do we have to offer and what best fits your needs? Exactly. And I know we've talked about that, you know, in past podcasts uh, over the years. But, you know, Lon Jason, when, when we look at buying a step up, what would you advise or what kind of conversations do you have with contractors that are in your area, especially the, 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 mater the, the material side, the quarry side, the aggregate side? Well, the very first thing I ask them is where, where are you going to be in five years? You know, what will your production rates be? How far away from your your crusher or your plant do you anticipate? Kind of what's your quarry plan or your mine plan or, or where is your next deposit of material? Mm. Knowing that, that'll help me size the the machines four or five years from now. Yeah. Um, I don't like to tell customers, you know, just buy what you need today. And then five years from now, come back and we'll, we'll, we'll sell you something new again. It'd be nice to have a machine that maybe is a little bit bigger than what they need today, but will fit perfectly along with their growth plans and their, and their mining plan. 
the other thing I encourage him to do is, you know, look for someone that can continually support the growth that you would have on that particular machine or that fleet, whether that growth for support is through technology or kits that you can put on so I can configure it with, you know, additional safety features in the future or additional payload systems or grade control systems, et cetera. So you can keep the same base machine platform, but you can get kits or you can reconfigure it or you can flash new software so that machine can continue to grow with whatever your business needs or your plan is without having to trade in your 2018 F-150 to get a 2022 F-150 because it's significantly changed and, and it's not growing with you. I think that's good advice. You know, I'm listening to both of you guys, and I know both, all three of us are, you know, we, we've got families and that type of thing. And, and you may remember doing this. I remember my wife and I bought our first home. She was pregnant. And so we were actually, we bought a house in the idea that our family was immediately going to be expanding, but we wanted more than one child. Is it, is it, is it like that to a certain extent when you're looking at the equipment side of, of life, Lonnie, in terms of, you know, I think it was Jason said, you know, where are you going, you know, where are you going to go? What's your plans for five years from now? Is any of that relate to you and the way you've talked with contractors about, you know, where are you going to be at in five years? How much do you want to grow or expand your business? Yeah, it all fits in that same decision tree or in that decision nucleus, if you will, at the at the core um, process of trying to spec out a machine and, and really decide what is it you want. You know, as Jason mentions, you know, five years, where are you going to be in five years growth expansion? And this machine needs to be, instead of a 320, we're into a 330, let's say. And, and what I've looked at when I've worked alongside our system application specialist and we're doing site evaluations, and I, you know, one example comes to me very clearly is they were looking at a mass excavation application for one year, one year, 5 million bank cubic yards, uh, to move. And it was in a load and haul application. And it was, do we go with a mass excavation machine or do we go with more traditional boom and stick? Right. And the question came as, well, over the life cycle of this machine, you're going to own this machine for 10,000 hours. You're going to work 2000 hours and then you got 8,000 remaining. What are you going to do? Like, well, it's going to go on an underground utility crew. We don't want to replace the boom and the stick. Right. So then you look at what are the other applications that this machine is going to live in a majority of its life and you try to size and configure it to where it's going to spend most of its time. So that does that tell me I need to stay at this size or do I need to upsize? And, and again, not only on how much iron is there, weight and horsepower, do I need to upsize my, my technology? So it, it all goes together and sitting down and really making that best decision. And when we look at this, you know, like I mentioned earlier, and I was, I practiced this, let's say, um, when I was in industry is, okay, look at the fleet list, what's available. That's right. I, I encourage those listening uh, to our podcast here is don't let your decision stop at I need to use my own assets. While it makes good sense to always try to put our assets to work first, always leave the door open to renting, to leasing, and even to purchasing. Because in the long run, that cost per unit may pay off for you and you still have that residual asset. You still have the reliability, you still have the durability of that cap product. I think that's what you just said is is gold for contractors. I, I know several years ago, as I was consulting with with a, 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 a business, a good business, but they wanted to get into expanding to into the road construction, 
And, and the gentleman who owned that company went out and bought this incredibly expensive piece of equipment. And then they never sold one job. Well, you're talking about making the wrong decision at the wrong time. And, and so, you know, we have to be careful about that. One of the things I wanted to challenge both of you guys on is, is especially if you're hauling equipment, Jason, I'm assuming that, you know, several of your clients probably maintain that equipment at the same site on a regular basis. But, you know, I'm thinking what might be some of the other costs associated to consider when you are possibly looking at trying to move up a step. And, and I'm thinking right off the bat, just an easy one for me uh, uh, is to deal with, uh, you know, are you going to have to buy a new trailer? <laughs> you have a trailer large enough to haul the equipment. Um, but give us some other ideas, Jason, that might a contractor might be wise to think about that might be, you know, additional charges or expenses that they may not have had before. Well, first is transport. So if you're going to transport a machine, you have, like you mentioned, you know, trailer limits. You also have road limits, permit limits, width limits, weight limits, you know. So how fast can I basically take off some pieces of this machine to transport it? Right. Um, you know, automatic counterweight removal devices help speed that up so you can transport a 395 faster down the road. Um, you can draw in tracks on excavators to narrow them up. You can remove buckets on wheel loaders. Um, so all those sort of things are, are important. How much time does it take to move it? Weighted with how many times do I think I'm going to move it? Yeah. And then the other aspect in my world, you know, a lot of customers say, well, I, I want a triple seven truck. I, I want the biggest truck so I can load it and I can haul the most material. Yeah. Well, your whole world changes when you change haulers. So if you go from a, a 775 to a 777, it's not just two letters up. Right. That truck is wider. It's bigger. Your road's got to be heavier. Your road has to be wider. Your berms have to be taller. Your hopper's got to be able to hold, you know, at least 200 tons. So you can dump two trucks into your hopper and it can still feed. Otherwise, you're creating bottlenecks throughout the entire system. Mm. So the configuration of that machine is important not only for I need to move it from point A to point B off of my site, but even on the site, can the rest of my systems and the rest of my application handle if I go up a size or if I go bigger in a wheel loader bucket or a wheel loader size? Um, is my site set up from a safety standpoint, like I said, for safety burns and that sort of stuff? So yeah. it's, it's off the site plus on the site, and you have to look at both of those and make sure that you're you're paying attention to those characteristics and that you're marrying all of those different relationships together. I think that's great advice. And Lonnie, I'd like for you to add to that, but let, let me throw in, well, give you just an extra second here to think through some of that. You know, I mean, we're talking about big equipment. I'm even thinking about the, the smaller contractor that may be listening right now that is debating on what size of skid steer to buy or the size of roller to buy for a, a paving uh, contractor. Um, you know, take us through where does that decision break happen, uh, Lonnie, that they need to consider what it could cost them additionally, maybe not just in dollars, but in time and even expertise of people. Yeah. So what, I guess where my mind goes there and what triggers it is when you start talking compaction and that's the size of the machine. What it really boils down to is what size of machine do I need to reach specification? Right. And we've had this conversation, you know, very commonly an 815 right. uh, soil compactor versus an 825 tamping foot soil compactor. I've experienced this. If you're a standard proctor versus trying to get a modified proctor of 98 to 100% uh, compaction on the density side, especially, 
um, you may need more weight that's right. and increase that horsepower. So that's on, it goes back to what am I trying to accomplish? If I have a specification laying under my nose and I don't have the right machine to achieve that specification, I'm already defeating the purpose. I'm already lost the game. So now if I know I need that machine, what do I need to do to allow that machine access to the site, access, egress, hauling units, just getting my fleet there. And something that's been rolling around in my mind as we've been talking through this podcast is, and very, very predominant in our area, is windmill farms. Windmill farms popping up in very, very rural areas because there's one thing they're looking for, the first thing to look for anyway, and that's their wind studies. Is there enough wind to blow this turbine? And what comes next then is how do I possibly get these cranes, these dozers, these motor graders out to this farm field? And they will extend culverts. They will widen out the radii off of main pavements, off of state routes to those country routes to get these monstrous cranes out in the middle of nowhere to erect these windmills. Mm. Same goes in construction, in Jason's world, in Corian aggregates. And it is, once we've figured out that machine, how do we get it there? But then we also kind of need to work backwards too. It's, it's, it's got a balance that we could have that triple seven, Jason mentioned that we really want, we really think is best for our site. We got to be able to get it there. And one of the questions that I put in my site evaluation guide when I authored that back in 2017 was, what bridges, what is the limited width? What's the limited height? Because you may have to go through a tunnel and you're not going to widen out that tunnel unless you spend a lot of money <laughs> in permitting to get up and around and bypass that tunnel. Right. So you may be limited machine size based on accessibility to your site. That's right. And that, while those are very, very um, unique situations and scenarios, nothing is off the table. You have to exhaust every single um, factor that plays into sizing the machine. It doesn't always just go to productivity and maneuverability. Jason, Lonnie, you guys have done it again. What a great meaty podcast we've had. If you're listening to this, first of all, thank you. And, and, and second of all, we want you to know that if you need some additional help or ideas, uh, maybe even a response or two from, from even our podcast specialists, is contact 4constructionpros.com. The information that Jason Hurtis and Lonnie Fritz have provided you today uh, go much deeper than, than some contractors often think. Hey, thank you for listening. Have a great and safe day. Find out more information around the topics we covered during the Contractor's Best Friend podcast on the 4 Profit Matters page. Look for the link on the top of the 4 website.